Welcome to episode 29. On the show today, I'm joined by Lexi Mills, CEO at Shift6 Global. She's a keynote speaker and president of the Future of Search Foundation. Lexi is a multi-award winning digital marketing expert and public speaker, specializing in PR, SEO and data-driven business intelligence. We discuss Trump being banned from Twitter, how Google is increasing the gender divide in jobs, how bad grammar can put you in a different echo chamber. First impressions are formed by search results. Over time, we perceive things that are different to be dangerous. We also discuss how using psychology can get your story in front of a journalist. We discuss reputation management, climate change, and much more. Enjoy. Welcome to the Johnny Ross Audio Experience. I'm Johnny Ross, founder and digital marketing strategist of Fleet Marketing. Each podcast, I'll be bringing you an expert to inspire you, to give you some great business growth takeaways, and to get you thinking about marketing and the bigger picture of how businesses can improve, adapt, and grow. I look forward to sharing this with you on each podcast. So here we go. Hi, and welcome to another live Q&A. We are live streaming on LinkedIn, LinkedIn Live. We're live streaming on YouTube and on Facebook in the Facebook group, the Yorkshire Business Club. Uh, Welcome. We've got Lexi Mills with us today. How are you, Lexi? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Uh, I first met you when you were talking on stage uh, at the Search Leads Conference, um, and uh, you wowed me back then, and it's been uh, great to be involved with you since, and, and brilliant that you're on the uh, the show today, so thank you. Lexi Mills is the CEO of Shift6. Uh, you're currently in London. Is that a London background we've got go- going on there? That is. That is um, Shoreditch Church to on that side. Ooh, that's it. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, so, um, just... Just tell us a bit about, uh, well, tell us a bit about um, Shift 6, but also, um, you know, you you were born in the UK, then moved to South Africa, went to uni at Brighton, is that right? Um, well, and 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 I think you're into, you were, well, you've, you're into nightclubs and, and uh, you've still got that music passion now, I think, is that right? Yeah, so, uh, well, uh, Shift 6 is an integrated marketing agency, so we do a mixture of consulting work, um, as well as uh, training. So clients either come to us and say, can you help us with a strategy and then help our team do it? Or can you just take the problem away and come back with a solution? Um, and yeah, I had a very odd start to my career, I guess. Uh, born in Britain, but grew up in South Africa, came back and did um, an art degree at the University of Brighton. I did business in the evenings and web design on the weekend, which was kind of fun. Um, because I love the internet. Um, and then when you've got a, you know, you're being creative all day, you're mixing the two together. Um, and when I left university, I didn't really know what to do. And I wasn't very good at getting up in the morning. So I decided it might be, nightlife might be better for me. So I started doing marketing for um, music events and worked my way up there and learned a lot about music marketing because great thing about the music industry is you don't have the same sort of uh, brand fears that you do in traditional or more uh, normal business. So if you have a crazy idea, you can usually talk a musician or a venue into doing it. And uh, so I did a lot more online. Um, I needed to earn more money. So I basically struck a deal that if I can do online what we were doing with print distribution, I could have that budget. Well, yeah, you saw you saw the amount of money going into print distribution, didn't you? And and just yeah, thought, gosh, God, I could do so much more with that. Well, I didn't know, but I was really willing to try because I was quite happy living in Brighton. It's such a fun city, and uh, but there aren't a lot of jobs in Brighton, so I figured give it a whirl. So I just stayed up late at night putting together Facebook groups. I invented a lady called Pixie Mills, and she became the face of a, a bunch of nights uh, events. Um, so uh, I sold her back to the company when I left because she was technically my IP um, and she could launch a bunch of events. Although I did check her Facebook page the other day and 
she doesn't have that many friends anymore. You've got to speak to your friends if you want to keep them. So yeah, ended up in music, worked in music a bit later on as well and big Greenfield events like sort of Goodwood, um, Festival of Speed, which was always such fun. Um, and then made my way over to sort of London and worked for Red Bull and then Distilled. And it was interesting, Distilled was the first time I realized that I'd been doing SEO for a long time at the same this, time. This, Distilled are a huge SEO agency, aren't they? Just for people that aren't, aren't aware. Yeah, and extremely smart, well thought out. You know, they train their team exceptionally well. Um, and everybody is encouraged to learn constantly. And uh, it was a great place to be. And a great place to be figuring out what PR SEO meant in all streams of business. Because, you know, smaller companies don't have an in-house PR. So you're not negotiating with them what you can do for SEO purposes. But the bigger the companies get, you suddenly have to get the brand management team involved, the PR team, the SEO team, you know, on-site content. And you're trying to make sure that you're either doing a strategy with all of them or one that doesn't step on anyone's toes. Well, it's interesting you say that because I'm sort of going, going to go off on a, a tangent here quite quickly. But what I find, and I'm wondering if you see the same, you surely must. What I find is when I'm working with big organizations, as you've just said there, you'll have different teams. You have the PR team, the SEO team, or maybe an organization is outsourcing PR, outsourcing SEO. Do you find that the two are sort of fighting because, you know, it's it's sort of the SEO department that says, well, no, we managed to achieve that. And, and the PR department are left sort of saying, well, well we, we got a lot of coverage, but, you know, I'm sure we had an effect on the ranks. Well, is the, do you see that internal fight or that, that, that fight between agencies? I don't know if I'd call it a fight, but it's certainly not. Um, they're not always uh, working together as well as they could be, for sure. And sometimes there are bad feelings. You know, because of things that they've been forced to do in the past. You know, like they'll send up, they get told they have to send their press releases through SEO, and SEO, you know, puts loads of keywords in them and <laughs> links, and then a journalist opens it and blocks that PR for life. Um, you know, and that, as a PR, your contacts are very much part of your career. So, you know, losing contacts because somebody has done something that isn't going to work and you know, the reality is you can put all the links you like in a press release, but if someone doesn't cover it, you're not getting any links. You might be better off putting one link in and actually getting the coverage with that link. So it's, uh, there's some historical challenges, but it's also a language barrier. You know, nobody likes to feel stupid. And SEO is filled with weird acronyms and they're not even consistent. You know, the main authority, we always um, uh, shorten to DA at our firm. But um, you know, there are several different formats for that that people use, and it can be quite alienating. And at the same time, PRs have language they use and processes um, that they use, and that can be quite uh, foreign to an SEO. Uh, we typically find if you can train both of them in each other's language and challenges, that's always a good starting point. Then find out what the SEO team can give the PR team that will help their work. That's super helpful. And also let people take the wins. You know, if we're brought in to do link building and to do that in alignment with the PR team, if we go and get a bunch of links from major newspapers, we let them report the coverage. They worked with us. They let us go out to those people. They can own the coverage. As long as our contracts and our reporting mechanisms uh, very clearly state how what metrics we need to hit. Everyone else can have all the glory. We don't need the glory. That's fine. And I think um, finding a way to either surrender glory or share it is a really good way to get on the same page. Um, one of the things we often do is just take the PR reports and put SEO metrics to it. How many links did they get? You know, what happened to traffic on those days? And you don't do anything else, right? Don't you know, don't change anything, don't try and move what they're doing. And they'll come to you and say, hey, how could we get more of those? That's a very different dialogue. Instead of you coming in and saying, right, you've got to do this. You're getting people bought into the thrill of SEO. And you know, the amount of SEOs I know that used to be poker players, like we like the thrill. We like the gamble of it. It's exciting. Oh, for sure. And PR is the yeah. same. You're just giving 
people two ways to gamble at the same time. That's a great deal. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think um, maybe you know I was, t- I was I was referring to whether the two departments fight. I think the other thing that I see, and I know you said it's not necessarily fighting. One of the the other things I see is that they can be a bit guarded, or certainly the SEO department can be a bit guarded at times. I think um, I'm not talking, you know, I'm obviously not. I'm talking in general and 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 different organisations, but I've seen where you know that they sort of want to protect what they've got, and and I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's about working together, isn't it? It's about those those two really understanding each other and working together and knowing how what what could that look like you know it's much easier to walk somewhere if you know what direction you're going in um asking people to find the direction draw the map and then walk it together i mean that's a big ask when people already have a full-time job right um but it's funny i've worked in seo firms and agencies and in-house seo side and the same pr side and it always blows my mind. Like when I got to a PR agency, I thought, man, the SEOs, my new clients are going to love me because I'll know what I'm talking about and I'll be willing to work with them. And some of them just wouldn't even pick up the phone. I was like, dude, I'm just trying to find which page you'd prefer me to fire these links at. Um, so, you know, it, uh, the truth exists on both sides in every circumstance at some point. Um, it's harder in the pandemic because normally... I would just excuse myself from a meeting and go looking for the SEO or the PR, maybe with some cookies. And cookies are really good diplomatic tools. And, um, you know, just say, hi, I'm Lexi. Hand them a cookie. Um, uh, I'm just in a meeting, but just wanted to introduce myself. Suddenly, you're the person that gave them cookies. And when your email comes through, you know, there's a maybe a slightly warmer feeling. But it's just something about well, meeting someone, knowing they don't mean you harm. Well, you're you're all about this. In fact, just before I get onto that, though, I just wanted to uh, just um, uh, hear some of the big clients that you work with. You you know you have Dropbox as a client, don't you? You've got some some big clients. Just just talk through some of the some of that and 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 some of the people you've worked with in the past as well. I think it's important that people that are listening or people that are watching uh, really understand some of the areas that you stepped into. Sure. So um, I have a bizarre passion for finance. Um, I love debt management. Um, I really quite like that comparison. I'm a big believer in spreading knowledge around that. And I think um, I get quite frustrated because so often finance, um, uh, like if you're doing a comparison site, people want to get in the financial advice pages. Like seriously, people who need financial help are not reading those. They're reading like Vogue and like you know, all the places that tell you how to spend money, not save it. So I love doing strategies there. We've worked with airlines. Um, we work with a lot of investors so um, and VCs. So they'll come to us and we'll look over some of the clients that they're looking at working with and we'll say that site is SEO safe. This one could be easily PR'd and what if we did these two together? And then we often end up working on those contracts. And yes, we have big people like Dropbox and a lot of the universities across the UK and the US. Um, we have different contracts uh, to help them determine which courses to take online, um, and the you know the promotion behind that, which is great because I get to speak to like super geeks slash super smart experts, and you get to work with them. They're like PR crack, so that's great. Um, and then small clients, you know, we've got uh, smaller e-commerce businesses as well, which I love. You know, it's so nice being able to speak to the owner and really get under the skin of what makes the business work. What are they thinking about the future? Um, so that's always fun as well. Uh, I've recently been working in CBD, which has also been fun because um, uh, with the Brexit and the international law changes, it's um, it's an interesting time for the CBD market. Um, you all you you also like to find clients that have similar values as well, don't you? You have you you you're looking for smart, nice clients and i think uh just talk, yeah. talk to me about your journey on how you came up with that and why so the best stories are not um created they're found if you really like your client you'll just end up having chats and they will just drop some gold dust right in front of you that they don't even realize is gold dust and that's kind of fun it's fun for both sides because suddenly you get excited about something that they didn't think anyone would be excited about, right? So, um, but I also find that team members perform higher when they're working on stuff they're interested in and they genuinely care about a client. So it, you know, when we first launched, 
we were just pleased to have some clients and they were all lovely but you suddenly start to realize actually some of them get you truly excited and the thing is there's the hours you're paid to work and then there's the hours when you're cooking dinner and suddenly an idea comes and you know creativity isn't a switch right it's um, an intellect we don't get to choose it all the time there's a certain functioning level that most people will have but when you're truly interested in something you start to see things that you wouldn't have seen otherwise so um, yeah having nice clients where the team really enjoy them that makes the world of difference to the results that we get but also how you feel getting up and in a pandemic it it's really nice to be getting up and feeling like you're helping i may not be able to work for the nhs but i can get up and help keep businesses alive and i can help people have an enjoyable day at work so yeah it means a lot more at uh, this time of i guess uh, pandemic life your your whole mantra uh, is 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 helping and i'm going to come on to the human aspect in a moment but just the, something that fits well into that is uh, you also offer reputation management as well don't you where um uh, maybe there's been a, a, a bad story about someone that just simply doesn't deserve it or, uh, you know, has gone through the, the judicial system and, and been proven innocent. What that, That's a, a side of your business as well, is that right? Yeah, it's um, something we're very passionate about. Um, I, have a, I have an ongoing challenge with the ethics around the structure of the internet and there's nothing worse than someone being guilty by algorithm judgment. You know, even if you're proven innocent, if the internet shows you're guilty, if those that first page of search results is around the accusation and not the outcome, then you are guilty. Because that first page of the internet is really what most people believe is a truth. And that can pull families apart. It can mean that people can't work in their passions. And I, I find that truly heartbreaking. You know, we see it a lot with CFOs. Uh, if a company goes bust, they might bring in a specialist CFO or financial specialist to help liquidate the firm. And they're the people quoted in the press. And then they've gone in to help liquidate this firm and they've worked really hard on it and it's never a fun game. And then they come out and they optimize for bankrupt firm. And now they can't get a job. It's, you know, there's just no ethics there. And even people who do great things. Um, I remember looking at the search results for Kate, Kate Rothschild and um, they're all around her and her boyfriend. But you go back two or three pages and you suddenly realize the incredible charity work she does and how brave she is. But that's not who the world knows her to be if they don't go to page four. So um, yeah, we, we're very passionate about it. We're very particular about who we take. Um, but we love solving problems like that. You know, some we, companies will have a question that comes up in Google, right? A suggested question. And a suggested question is not just a suggested search. It's a question in your mind. Is this brand trustworthy? Like now suddenly, you know, there's 25% more clicks in people or people thinking about, is this brand trustworthy? So we particularly like adjusting knowledge graph and smart answers and yeah, it's just fun. <laughs> I mean, is that, if you saw that question, is this brand trustworthy? What, what preconceptions could that give you? Does that, is that a good thing or a bad thing seeing that question? If well, if you haven't, th if you went to, you know, find a website because you wanted to use their product and then suddenly you see, is it trustworthy? You're like, Oh, I hadn't thought about that. I just presumed yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah, and it creates doubt. And if you don't own that result, then you're in a much more challenging position, right? Because somebody else can determine the answer to that. Absolutely. So, so um, you often talk about uh, digital bubbles and being and and being stuck in these bubbles. You just talk to me about some of the things you've learned in the past because you you've played a lot with Google and and typed things in. Uh, you know you've typed. You know you were talking. I remember you you talking a, a long time ago about uh, people with bad grammar. How uh, they could how different type, different people could type different things and see different answers and and get 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 into into very different areas of the internet. Just just talk to me about some of how that works. So Google's objective is to give you the best result for your query, um, but it's making presumptions about who you are. Um, so if you have bad grammar, you know, um, 
what if um, X, Y, or Z um, versus that being asked with bad grammar, you'll see something different, which means you see a different world. And you know, part of the beauty of the internet in some ways should be our anonymity. And I don't mean in terms of data privacy 100%, but uh, we should be able to walk around it and have an equal footing. But it's, um, we see things like classism. You know, if you've had a good education, bad education, um, where, you, where you live will determine what you see. And so we see some of the limiting factors of the external world um, emulated and secured with algorithms online. And I think we should be able to choose that. You know, I actually don't spell very well. I would like to see the results of people who can spell. I want to be good at spelling, right? And I don't want to be limited. I don't want to be seeing something different just because it's not my strong suit. I mean, give me an equation, I'm all yours. But uh, yeah, so it's uh, there's a certain element of equality that I think we need to consider in the way algorithms work. But at the same time, we also want to get to the answer really fast. Yeah, and this is the this is the example this is the example of of Google imaging uh, things like nurses things like um, uh, plumbers. There's a whole uh, gender. Uh, uh, you know, if you Google a nurse, you'll often see female pictures. If you Google a plumber, you'll see male pictures. That this is something that you've spotted that you've talked about a few years ago, and and this is what's led you to really think about these things and 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 realize that we're sort of being you know, taken into these bubbles of misconceptions. And they're not clearly defined. You know, um, uh, the definition of propaganda largely implies that um, something is subtle. It is not overt. And we have a form of propaganda in, term, in the structure of algorithms. And we're not aware of it. If it very glaringly said, you were getting this result because you can't spell, that's okay but it doesn't. So we don't know that we're getting sucked into these invisible bubbles. So, you know, for example, I haven't checked it recently, but it really took me back when I looked at terrorist, like the terrorist result, you would be led to believe without realizing it that a terrorist is not female and is not white. And you would be very concerned if you ever met Will Smith, because he is all over the terrorist search results. You know, it's not helpful. Um, whereas if it said, hey, this is based on X, Y, and Z, almost a transcript, and it is technology now. There's a company called Exe. I was looking at their tech a, a year or two ago, and they've got this um, self-learning uh, machine learning AI. And the beauty of it is, is that it actually tells you how it got to its answer. It gives you almost a reverse report. And I feel like the internet could benefit from something like that. The problem is, we already have terms and conditions that no one ever reads. You know, we have this big hoo-ha over data privacy, and now we all have to click an extra button to get to a page we want for GDPR, which, I mean, it's not solved anything, right? It really, it might have solved a little bit, but in practical terms, most consumers are no wiser what data they're sharing and not, because they just want to get to their results. So we need to come up with a better way of understanding that. Um, but we've seen some really great progress in the pandemic. It's almost been a great opportunity. You, one of your examples, because uh, you talk a lot about um, health and medical side of things, and one of your examples was when you were Googling uh, lung cancer uh, uh, because of a, a family member. Um, you were, you were Googling, what was the question that you were Googling? Um, so I just found out a family member had been diagnosed with lung cancer. So I hopped on a train to their house and... Um, as you do on a train, you think, what, what do I need to know? And of course, the first thing I wanted to know is survival statistics. Well, lung cancer survival statistics are grim. They are really, really awful. Now, what I would have preferred to have seen at that point in time is if it had said to me, hey, just so you know, these statistics won't be relevant unless you know this and this bit of information. Also, they're quite likely to upset you. Are you with friends? If not, these are three of your friends that are online right now and available to chat. That would have been a good result. The result I got was their actual statistics. Um, and I ended up fainting on a train platform. Um, and I groped, actually, a poor train official who saw me about to faint. And I kind of grabbed hold of her and slid down the front of her. It was all very molesty. Um, she wasn't thrilled. But it made me really aware 
that there is a difference between an efficient result and a healthy result. You know, kids may not always want to eat their vegetables, but they'll be grateful they do when they don't get scurvy. And uh, we need to be cognizant of what a search algorithm that doesn't give us emotional or mental scurvy looks like. Um, and I'm not saying we'll ever get something perfect, but we could certainly try a little harder, I think. Uh, we've got a couple of comments here. Victoria Tomlinson, great to see you, Lexi uh, and Johnny. Love the conversation as always, Lexi. We'd love to catch up at some point. Uh, Jason Newell, he wants to talk about GDPR and data compliance. That'll be a fun conversation, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> always happy to talk about it. Um, I actually don't believe in data privacy. I don't think it's possible. Uh, a little bit controversial, but I think if we leaned in to complete data privacy surrender, we would be able to advance medical systems and diagnoses and treatments in many, many areas and advance the genome sequencing program um, exponentially. I'm not saying we should do that, but I think we spend a lot of time thinking about how we protect data and not enough time thinking about what happens and what kind of beautiful world could we create if we found a way to engineer true trust. If people could be trusted, then we wouldn't have to worry about data privacy. And that, I think, is a far more exciting discussion. But if you want to talk about GDPR, I'm all there too. That's fine. <laughs> so, so on the so on the other side of things, there's uh, you talk about the the psychology of people, the the human aspect. You don't just say thank you to someone, do you? You try and give much more of a sort of feeling and a a meaningful thank you. A bit like you were talking about uh, giving a, a cookie to you know as a as a little thing to remember. You you give more than a thank you, um, and and you really understand how the the way you've got good PR in the past, if you've is you've totally understood what how journalists work. I do my best to understand, um, and our team do as well. And sometimes there's some better place to speak to a particular journalist. But yes, if you can create a win-win scenario, that's always what you're looking for. You know, I often hear people saying to me, um, "How do you get a journalist to cover your stuff?" It's the wrong question. How can you work with a journalist so that you both win? That is the question. And it's really just a slightly different approach, but the output is um, long-term friendships. I and mean, some of my closest friends in the world are journalists. And uh, it's just how you approach things. You don't need to be stealing from anyone to make progress. Um, it's, a, it's a scarcity feeling. Scarcity breeds scarcity. Abundance. You approach things with abundance. I have enough. Let me share. You'd be surprised how much more you get. Um, so, uh, yes, we try very hard to show appreciation, to say thank you properly. Um, and sometimes it can be years before you actually get around to a proper thank you. Uh, but actually, I've been working for about six months with the team on what would the ultimate um, cheer me up be for friends of the agency. And so we have uh, something quite exciting. It will be arriving in a wand box, but it is edible. Um, it is based on the mathematics of the golden section. And uh, yeah, we're getting a limited run of these custom made. Um, and I'm very excited about it. Uh, so yes, it's a whole team effort. And how do we show appreciation? Not necessarily thank yous, but yes, I will send you one, Jenny. I'm super <laughs> excited, but let me just check they work. I have to get the, <laughs> the code right. It's actually, um, yeah. Uh, custom URLs are a little bit more challenging to optimize. You've, and you've got me excited now as well. I was already <laughs> excited, but even more excited. Um, so you took all of this learning. You took you took you know the way the internet works, the way Google uh, works. You also took the, then the human aspect of journalists, and you created what is your own product in a sense, which is your uh, you know your agency, what you've set up, Shift Six. Just talk to me about how you've tied the two together and how they how they work together to ultimately be able to deliver you know unbelievable results for clients so we have one area of the agency which i guess is a couple of years old now called shift 6 mi and uh, it's interesting because it's a really a product of seeing how systematic and formulated and process driven seos can be and how the wonderful outputs that has and how human focused prs are and we put the two together so we have a team that track all media requests around the world through multiple systems. And we have a very rock solid process 
for marrying those up super fast with clients to get amazing quotes easily and in a lightweight manner from the clients and straight to a journalist. Um, and so it really is a combination of multiple systems and uh, our team being super fast, smart and personable and prepared. You know, we go to great lengths to make sure that if a journalist asks us for an image, we have it and we have it at the right resolution. And, oh, you want one in black and white? No problem. Perfect bios. All these small things that can make a journalist's life harder. You know, they don't want to send you four emails to get the bio, to get the headshot, you know, to get maybe further details. And they don't want to wait hours to get a quote for a story that they just want to file so they can move on to the next one. So it was really looking at those pain points and asking ourselves, why have we missed certain opportunities? And what could we do about that? And so we realized we needed people awake 24 seven and we needed to be really process driven about how we did this. And you know, the MI system, I mean, the, the MI system runs on all our clients. Some people just pay for MI. Um, and we also do other things like uh, if we're coming up with ideas for a client, we'll put together a journalist consulting board from the MI system and we'll brainstorm, we'll anonymize the client, but we'll brainstorm and you get fresh ideas, fresh views. And then we'll go off, build out those ideas, add in some of our own and then take them back to the board. And then we get direct journalist feedback. So when we're launching a campaign, it's not just on gut feel that it's a good idea. It's verified. And that's not just because we want a higher chance of success because we want big wins. It means that clients don't freak out. They go into it more confident because it's time consuming enough to build out a campaign. But nervous clients, it's no fun. They're exhausting in terms of time. And it's much nicer to have a happy client, right? <laughs> you know, those are your options, happy or nervous. So um, the MI system has been super helpful there as well. It it sounds really fascinating how it how it works, and I think it's just so clever, just making sure that you've got that that human element. Um, what one of the things that you know, um, you we were talking earlier about, you know, what I was saying is there anything that you're wanting to to showcase or to 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 mention? And one of the things that you, that you mentioned that you you know it would be nice just to get people to to think before they were using things like social media um, and 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 how they how they say things online and, and, and how that can affect people. Just talk to me more about that. So I don't think we truly appreciate how much uh, a search engine results page can be determined as truth. And we all play a role in it. You know, there used to be just content and elementary algorithms and then searches. We had to really look for stuff. But now the algorithms are self-learning. We're fueling them every action we take. And on top of that, we have more access points to put our own content up online. And you know, humans are just so much more inclined to complain on Twitter than they are to compliment. Um, and you know, in many respects, the internet could easily become uh, a trash highway of some of the worst aspects of who we are. But if we are a little bit more cognizant, it could be the complete opposite. It could be, we could do a judo move on what's happening right now between content and algorithms. And I don't think we spend enough time thinking about what an awesome place the internet could be. You know, it is the fastest, largest growing human territory in existence. Let's make it something awesome. Let's make it something to be proud of. Let's make it a legacy, not a, uh, not a doomsday. And you, know, you think about what we've done to spread awareness of COVID. You know, all the little alerts that go up online that you see on Facebook, you see on Twitter. Um, I actually noticed the other day Facebook now tells you the source of certain articles and you know how trustworthy it is. What if we did that for climate change or homelessness? Suddenly, we have this amazing tool to create great change. And the pandemic is tragic on every level. But if we take the learnings from that and we say, right, OK, now we're finished with the pandemic. What's the next biggest issue? Well, I think it probably is climate change. So let's use everything we learned about spreading information and making people work together from the pandemic and move on to climate change. And I think we stand a great chance at um, having a planet left to live on if we did that. 
recently uh, there's uh, huge amounts of stuff going on in the US with the uh, election and uh, uh, Trump being pushed out, Joe Biden going in. Twitter has just banned uh, Trump. I'm just wondering if you have an opinion on on um, how Twitter's handling this, how Facebook's handling this, and, and whether it's right to take someone's voice away, um, whether it's I'm wondering uh, if we need to see the to, to to still be able to see the history to see how awful some of the things that have been said. I'm just wondering if you've got an opinion on that because it's sort of related to what you're saying, isn't it? Uh, and yeah. I, I don't know if you do or not. You know whether whether uh, Twitter and Facebook need to be uh, are doing this in the right way or not. Well, I um I think they're probably dealing with it in the same way we've dealt with climate change. Um, too little, too late. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but better late than never. <laughs> Maybe. And um, we're never going to get everything perfect straight away. You know, we can be quite critical of any form of AI. Um, when Microsoft Tay came out and they release, released um, the sort of teenager type girl onto the internet that should be able to converse, and she became a racist asshole overnight and they had to shut her down. And everyone was very critical. But actually, we don't make progress without failure. That is an, you know, the ultimate um, mistruth. So I think we have to accept, okay, they have done something. Well, now they must have some line of command to make changes more than they ever have before. Well, let's have a productive discussion. What could we be doing? I would like to see Trump stuff archived. I really would. I'd like to see it, be able to have access to it. I've screenshotted a lot of it over the last year or two. And we'll never scrub it clean off the internet anyway. We're just making it harder. But we do need to come up with some system for truth. Um, and we could start on the internet side or we could start on the human side. I mean, how many schools do classes in determining truth online? You know, I've, um, I have a subscription to Fox News. And a couple of my friends were really flabbergasted. They were like, what, you pay for Fox? like yes i have fox and bbc and al jazeera running side by side i want to know what other people are seeing and hearing so maybe it's not just an education piece but maybe we need to develop more interest in others like it's not about um determining who is right who should have a voice and who shouldn't let's just all get a little bit more nosy about someone else's opinion but unfortunately, we all seem to like our own voices and our own opinions. Um, they're more comfortable than things we disagree with. So uh, a higher level of interest and a greater comfort with uncomfort might be um, a way forward. And yes, somehow that needs to be translated into policies and systems. But right now, we don't have those. So we have to start experimenting. And maybe that means shutting down um, his Twitter account maybe we shut it down but leave the content live you know there are iterations but um, if you have a baked bread like you rarely get it right first time (laughs) it's it's that echo chamber that you're talking about isn't it and and i really like the idea of what you've said there which is around actually let's find out what other people are hearing and being told and 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 because because ultimately that's what forms that can be what forms their their uh, their points of view and you can't possibly understand their points of view until you understand how they've formed them so i i really like that idea of having fox and bbc and al jazeera running at the same time Oh, it was great in the elections. Um, uh, I had an employee and, and we both spent a lot of time, like five, six years living in the States. And we sat there holding hands, watching the TV because it was just so nerve wracking. And we were watching just as Fox started to pivot what they were doing. And we were just like, oh, we're watching history and not just the elections. But that moment when they changed their view, I was like, wow. I am really pleased I had a subscription for that because to see it live was fascinating. Do you, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm curious. I'm pushing you here on on uh, on on uh, points of view. Um, um, I'm curious. You're in the UK right now. 
um, but of course you're connected across the world. Is it in the UK we're we're going through this second wave? You talked about going through a third wave of mental health, which I, I agree with you. Um, is it are, is it the leadership that's the problem? Are we are we are the rules too open for? us to interpret however we want to interpret them or are the people the problem at not using what you could argue is common sense or 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 thinking more um i i've i've battled with that myself recently uh, and i'm just wondering if you have any opinion on on you know on, on whether we just need a stronger leadership and a stronger this is what you're allowed to do and this is not what you're allowed to do so have you ever considered what would happen if you weren't allowed a face to a, um, to a political campaign. So I thought about it. If you're allowed to have a green and a red dot, but there are no faces, there's no performance, there's no um, public uh, theater of a political party. The only face is a little round 1984-esque dot, and it has a asexual voice. It doesn't raise it, it doesn't lower it then we'd be judged, we'd be able to judge a lot more. But right now we have personality politics. We buy people. And so yes, we could say stronger leadership or does everybody just need to cut the game and really focus? We could also argue quite easily that maybe there's a problem with our education system that we can't get people to wear masks and behave safely. Or there's the final one, which is we have to accept human nature. And I think one of the most interesting parts of the pandemic is that we may not be able to define it in words or properly hold it, but human quality, that impact on us and how that impacts us interpreting and acting on rules needs to be factored in. And this is true in business as well. You know, we spoke um, before the, the stream about some people designed the world's perfect strategy for a business but the client can't implement it or won't for some reason, then it's not the perfect strategy. The right set of rules are ones that take into account the people on the other end and how they're feeling. You know, one, being allowed a bubble helps. It really does. But you know, maybe people need to, if we had had more flexible rules that allowed for people um, uh, to look after their mental health and their physical well-being, we might not have found ourselves here. Or we could have gone the other extreme. But uh, I, I do worry about long-term, psychologically, what will be the impact of the pandemic. I also think we're gonna find people have become quite fabulously weird, you know? <laughs> Our pajamas just gonna be a thing we all do all the time. How great <laughs> is that? Um, but yes, I, I think there are so many arguments um, that everybody is finding their own way to cope. And I think we have to accept that the rules are hard to follow. Um, they're not hard logically, they're hard in practice. So there has to be some empathy there. Should we have shut our borders sooner? Probably. Should we have gone down into lockdown sooner? Probably. It's, it's a tough game. Should schools have ever re reopened? Well, if you ask parents, they say yes, definitely. But do we think we can control a virus with schools open? I don't think so. So yeah, it's... Um, it's the beauty of an international world and it was almost a certain destiny that was going to happen. But yes, it's uh, our greatest challenge, learning to work together to solve it and being able to care for people beyond yourself. So maybe the ultimate, the ultimate thing that we needed is not stronger leadership, but greater capacity to have empathy. Um, in Japanese, they have a term um, for leaving capacity, always leave space. What is wrong with the structure of the way we live and function right now that we don't have the capacity to have empathy for people beyond ourselves? Because that is the challenge of the pandemic. You know, you wear a mask to protect others, not yourself, on average. Um, so yeah, maybe we all need to learn how to care a little bit more, and that might mean that we need to feel safer in the world some way somehow. I, uh, Lexi, for for leader. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't I have any perfect talk, solutions, but I'm, I'm willing to look for them. I think, I think you're talking great sense. And I love that great capacity for, for empathy, which is an, another take on it. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's a, a very interesting thing. Uh, just leading on from this conversation, you 
uh, all talked to me about how um, you 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 love data um, and you uh, personally uh, what's the right words here? You, you analyze people's uh, online habits with their permission um to really help them understand maybe themselves or to or to help them understand or to help you understand if 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 there's cause for concern Are you, do you mind going into a tiny bit of that and and and, and sure. some examples so, a few years ago i started to notice um when people were online um you know on facebook because they light up green right on the messenger app and i noticed correlations between friends who had specific diagnoses um, and what time they were online and whether they would respond if I messaged them. And so after a while, I asked a few, can I put a bunch of just free software on your computer? And I just want to see if we can monitor when you're going down and up. So this is people with bipolar, schizophrenia, manic depression. ADHD is a little bit harder, but those are the ones I was really focusing on. And what you're looking for is not that people with bipolar are up later. That's not it. You're looking for a deviation from someone's norm. And yeah, fairly effectively, we could isolate um, when people had an episode and then you know the pattern. And then the next time you can start to look for the pre-markers, right? So you can catch someone before they fall. Because uh, I am a big believer that we're in our second wave of the pandemic in Britain, but we're also in our third wave, which is the mental health impact and when you start to look at the long-term effects of it it's not just um not feeling well it's actually the fear the the shock of what happens when somebody has a bad episode and if we could prevent those prevention is much easier than bringing someone back from a bad place so yeah i found uh, fairly consistent patterns around bipolar and schizophrenic um episodes um with early telltale signs so um things like people being on Amazon late at night and the speed at which they're moving between pages, so bounce rates on pages um, for people that maybe weren't particularly a night owl, people who are on social networks but not actually communicating but just observing. Um, that was kind of interesting as well. And changes in use of language and increase in certain types of typos and shortening of sentences were good indicators. So yeah, at some point, um, when time allows, I would like to see if I could create a digital drug um, equivalent to lithium, because um, lithium is a death sentence in its own right from what I can see. And if we could regulate people's lithium dosages based on their digital behavior, we would save many lives. Um, and uh, yeah, I do believe we're gonna have an opportunity to use our access and digital footprints to make a much healthier world and a much more democratic healthcare system. You know, we can already tell certain types of cancers by digital queries well ahead of time. Um, I think it was Harvard University who did the research there. Well, if we can diagnose cancer sooner, that is your primary indicator for survival. And a lot of cancers is getting it sooner. And imagine if people don't suddenly have to have a lot of money to be able to catch things that makes the internet a very, very cool place. So yeah, that's uh, when I get a moment, I will work on that a little bit more, but it's exciting to see patterns. I mean, uh, I'm sure I could find patterns for other fun stuff as well. <laughs> I think I think you need to prioritize it, and uh, because I think the the picture that you're describing, uh, you know, I can see it. Ha I can see it happening as well. Having a, a an AI tool, a machine learning tool that really just step in and say, "Hold on a minute, this person needs some help," uh, or you know, we've got something going on here. Or what about you're walking down the street and it says, "Hey, you know, there's a meditation class um, one block from here, and your calendar is free, and it's got your this friend that you know of going." Um, and FYI, we can see in six months you're going to get depressed. So why don't you start meditating now? Like it's it's all there. It's just pulling data points to get together. But anyone who's worked with a big data set knows that in theory, aligning data sets is easy. In practice, there's always something. So yeah, again, it's going to be iterative. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nathan uh, Clark said that this is a great discussion and an opportunity to open ideas uh, summed it up well I was going to ask you uh, how you managed to uh, do a, a TED talk but 
uh, actually, you know, every time I speak to you, it's so obvious, you know, you, you're just such a, a, a brilliant speaker. You've got great ideas and, uh, and I love your way of thinking. Uh, fascinating, Lexi. I could chat to you for hours. I really could. Um, is well, there you're a, if, about if, my favorite subjects. <laughs> <laughs> if, Although if, I haven't gotten um, onto gardening yet. I do like gardening. No, and acrobatics. Yes, acrobatics is a new one. Um, only a few injuries this pandemic. Um, my father is not thrilled that uh, I do so much acrobatics. Uh, <laughs> it's not uh, an ideal time to get an injury, that's for sure. And, and you've also bought into a, an aura ring as well, haven't you? How, how you? You've had that a few months. How's it going? Um, it's really good. So you get the sizing kit when you wear a plastic one for a few days to get the size right. Are you, are you Sorry to interrupt. Are you on commission for them? No, I'm just, firstly, I okay, love just, data. Just I mean, I've been tracking personal data since I was about eight or nine. Like I have spreadsheets that were drawn up on a 286 computer um, <laughs> on what time I woke up, you know, what time I went to bed, you know, what I had for lunch. I just always collect stuff. But um, the real version, once you get upgrade to the real version, it's a lot more comfortable. And I've just found, um, I used to have a Fitbit, but it needed charging more often than I would like and I like swimming it, it didn't hold up to my lifestyle to be fair quite well but um I'd noticed there were some days over the last few months I'd be really tired and I didn't know if I was tired because I'd done too much or too little and this has been really helpful for that it um just gives you um some really solid data on that Mo monitoring your heart rate is also helpful um it turns out if you have a high heart rate you don't sleep is well and you don't wake up feeling as well and i don't know it's fun to wake up and see data and be like oh do i agree with it or not and yeah so so for people that listening that are listening you won't be able to see but um lexi's showing a, a ring on her finger and, it, and it, that's all it is it's just a a digital ring it's a step up from a fitbit and uh and, and my understanding and you were talking about it earlier is that um it it can preempt what how it thinks your day's going to be and and sort of give you some advice and tips on take it a bit easy today lexi you could be in you know you your moods your mood might be not the the, the best place to be in yeah so it noticed that i had a restless sleep which was my own fault to be fair i turned the heating up and um i've had some problems with the radiators we had a couple change so um it noticed i didn't sleep super well and it said hey you know take it a little bit easier today so i took that as go for a walk not a run um but there are some days i look at it and i'm like oh wow i feel like i've walked ten thousand steps and it turns out i've done a thousand and it just gives me that extra little nudge um Although one of my friends say the best algorithm you have is asking yourself how you feel. And I'm like, yeah, I think that doesn't work as well in a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> Lexi, if people are wanting to speak to you uh, about any of the topics we've discussed, I guess, um, where's the best place to find you? Uh, LinkedIn or just at me on Twitter, Lexi Mills. Um, very happy to answer questions, chat further. Always nice to meet new people, especially when we're all locked in our own homes. So by all means, get in touch and I'll do my best to answer as fast as I can. Excellent. Thank you so much for being with me today. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. I can't wait to speak to you again, to be perfectly honest. Um, but uh, look after yourself. Stay safe in London. Nice seeing you. Thanks for listening. If you uh, have been listening, uh, please watch out for a, another live Q&A coming up, uh, whether that be on the podcast or live video. We'll see you all soon. Thanks again, Lexi. Cheers. Take care, everyone. been listening to the johnny ross audio experience thanks so much for joining me if you want to continue the conversation head over to my website fleet.marketing or find me on linkedin that's all for today please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts tag me in your social media posts and please leave me a review on itunes it will make a huge difference for me i will see you soon you